If you want to be the best in the world, there's a price to be paid. And if you're not training and preparing like the top people in the world would train and prepare, then don't be shocked when it doesn't work out That's for you. That's it. How hard and how far and how deep are you willing to go for the task at hand? That transcends industry, that transcends discipline, that transcends skill. That's like what a successful person does, period. I'm excited for this week's Live It podcast. Joining us is my friend, Mike. Mike is in U.S. Special Operations. He's been U.S. Special Operations for over a decade. We've been friends also for over a decade. And uh, thanks for joining us, Mike. At least. Uh, no, Jason, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's really great to be here. <laughs> it's fun having you in Utah for a couple of days. This state's incredible. Um, anyone looking for a vacation, I can't recommend this place enough. You know, we're up a little bit north of Provo yesterday in the mountains and the peak uh, season for the for the foliage. Uh, stunning, really. Yeah, it was pretty good. We were just to, like to shed a little bit of light on that story. We went and took a couple of razors up there. Yeah. Went up and, and to your point, the weather was perfect. The mm -hmm. leaves were changing. It was gorgeous. Yeah. And then we just added to that that we had some good, some, some nice uh, uh, firearms with Absolutely. us. Absolutely. Trail was well maintained. Yeah, yep. it was great. Got some good target practice in. It was a good time. Absolutely. Really good time. That's what every dad wants to do with his daughter. So we had <laughs> we, we had Laura with us. We need to get you up here with your kids sometime. And yeah, sooner or later, they'll be here uh, and they'll really dig it too, I think. We'll go have some fun. Well, one of the reasons that I'm excited to have you and to talk to you, Mike, is because we have a lot of conversations over the years mm -hmm. and they're always very interesting. And you are a world expert in special operations and what you do, without a doubt one of the most elite, even for the United States, but also you are also an incredible problem solver. And you you are definitely one of the top high achievers who who I've ever had the pleasure of knowing. I appreciate and so, that. So I think everyone is gonna benefit from just understanding how your mind works as, you, as we talk through different things. Oh, I really appreciate that. Um, you know, and say this um i've been given incredible opportunities by the taxpayers of this great nation to meet a lot of incredible people have a lot of incredible experiences um in training and in operational settings and uh you know there's a lot of humility that goes along with being around such uh wonderful guys to my left and right guys and gals to my left and right every day um so it's definitely it's definitely a team effort um, but as, as, as hopefully I can be symbolic of some of the incredible things that these men and women have achieved going all the way back to, you know, the revolutionary war, but, um, certainly over the last 30 to 40 years as the U S special operations community has grown and matured. Um, I will say like, as a, as a, as a cadre of, of men and women, there are few better uh sets of people classes of people um from top to bottom um and i'm definitely humbled to be a part of it yeah you know in a lot of the conversations we've had the thing that i'm probably the most envious of is how close you seem to be with the people that you work with how much you you clearly enjoy their company and love them right no that's that's fair to say um why do you think that is though <clears throat> why, why do you think it is that there's such a close relationship between you and your peers in special operations I think uh, the, the big part that that probably sets us or any other group apart that that seems to be unified is self-selection. So 
no one is recruited per se into the the baseline of special operations. You have to say, this is something I want to do. These are the values of this organization. These are the values of that element that I want to be a part of. And I know there's a steep price uh, to pay and a, perhaps a life ending price to pay once I'm there. So you get a good bunch of people that already unified kind of in, in thought and goal and purpose and they self-select. They self-select in to the military. They self-select into a selection course. They self-select to stay there. They self-select to improve. They self-select um, to be amongst this, this, this tribe, if you will, of like-minded individuals. And in this case, um, just by the nature of what we're asked to do day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year, you have a class of, of people that really enjoy shared hardship, individual hardship, but overcoming those problems. And to that end, um, you end up being really close um, because you share so many experiences and you are so aligned uh, kind of mentally and physically and certainly spiritually. So it becomes really easy to develop really deep bonds um, with those folks. Yeah. How does it work with, with, I think in your community, sometimes you work with people maybe for six months or for a year and then they yeah. kind of shuffle the deck. Yeah. Do those relationships tend to also continue? It'd be, it seems like it'd be hard as, as long as you've been into to no, that's, them. that's, that's a great question. Um, what you get on a, on a macro scale for an individual is kind of what probably most of us experience on a, on a small scale. So you grew up with a sibling or the neighbor turns into your best friend since you were six and you guys go all the way up through you graduate high school together, but then as life and its vagaries take shape, you maybe don't see him for 10 years. Um, you know, you don't talk to your little brother, older sister for, you know, five years or you don't see him. I guarantee you, we've all experienced this. You see him and you pick right up off from where you were four or five years ago. Like you hadn't skipped a day. You'll catch up. You'll relive some things. You'll talk about high points, but that that familiarity and that bond and that affection um, will be there. And so that's kind of, uh, in a sense, what happens with 40 guys. You know, I might not see him for two years. I might not see him for five, but we're into each other at an event or downrange or at an airport. And you'll sit there like you're, you know, like it was 10 years ago and you just missed a day or two of each other's company. So it's a really cool experience um, to kind of have that that network of, you know, friends. And obviously in this case, in a lot of cases, you know, friends are the family you choose. So it's friend in the truest sense, you know, someone you're, you can share stories with, share experiences with, they know a lot about you, you know a lot about them and you still, you know, find each other cool after you know all that about each other. Um, so it's, that's, it's kind of unique. And, and I really enjoy that facet of it as well. I think it's, I think it's, really interesting that you started off this podcast by expressing gratitude and humility for the people that you work with. And I don't think I tell you this enough either, but I am so grateful. I mean, as a U.S. citizen, as a father, uh, as a husband, with all the roles that I have, I'm very grateful to you and to your community, to your brothers and sisters, and really to all of the U.S. military. Uh, for what you've done since the the the, the revolutionary war until yeah. now so i just i want to say thank you no i t i totally appreciate that um you know i accept that on behalf of all of you know my brothers and sisters uh before and those will come after um and i think you know especially in some of our more niche communities like 
in anything, like having that sense of gratitude, um, mindfulness about, you know, what you're thankful for and where you kind of feel, hey, this is wonderful. Like, I'm so happy I can be here. And it can be as easy as going for a run because you've seen your buddies get their legs blown off. What would he give right now to be here with me running down this trail? Um, he'd give a lot. Um, yeah. What would he give or she give right now to be sprinting around a playground with their kids on this beautiful Saturday afternoon? Lord knows he'd give pretty much anything he could. So you find those little moments that sometimes kind of go overlooked and you say, this is actually an incredible gift. You know, I have health. I'm around people who, um, who I love and I'm going to consciously have a sense of gratitude and consciously, you know, work to preserve this as a moment and sustain it and grow it. Um, it's just a powerful, powerful, uh, feeling. And I think, you know, a lot of us here in America, certainly blessed relative to other parts of the world. Um, I think if everyone kind of stopped and, and looked and saw how grateful they were for things, you know, they'd probably take better care of their communities, better care of their environment. They'd value their relationships with their friends and family a little bit more. Um, but it's something that hits you in the face when you know, you think about, hey, two years ago, we were here doing this and um, it didn't go well. So it didn't go so well for, you know, this particular guy or didn't go so well for that or didn't go so well here, you know, so every... For instance, um, you know, every August 11th, you say, hey, you know, there was um, an incident in Afghanistan back in 2011, August 6th, excuse me, uh, where we lost more guys than we'd ever had in a single day. Um, and here we are again. What am I going to do to show gratitude? How, how will I earn this right? How will I earn this right that they've given me, right? And... There it is, you know, just kind of keep it at the forefront. So, yeah. And if, if they're people you're running with and they laid a limb or an arm on the altar of liberty, mm -hmm. if they're people you run with, those are people who really particularly value a, a leg or an arm. Sure. I mean, they're, they're more active than most. Yeah. And it's going to be harder than most psychologically to adapt to that. Absolutely. I, I would, I would no, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, and it, it stretches back to the age of, you know, since warriors have been warriors, you know, there's a code, there's an ethos. Um, and sometimes, you know, you accept it and you hope, you know, when it's your time. Uh, you know, like the famous uh, Indian war chief Tecumseh had, you know, when it's time for you to sing your death song, you know, stare at it right in the face and go proudly and happily that you get to sing as a warrior and go out on top. Um so it's a gift, you know, it's an, it's, it's a way to say, Hey, look, I've, I've done all this and I've been lucky enough to experience that. So if today's the day, um, I'll go out like a champion, you know, um, it gives me chills when you say that I mean, no, it's I so beautiful that. and honorable. It is a, it's an amazing thing to hear. No, I appreciate that. Yeah. And especially someone in your sh situation who you have seen people sing their war song yep. and look it in the face and do it with honor and dignity in a way that probably that's makes right. everyone stand back. No, and when they, it. when they stepped across, uh, they went out, you know, admirably. Um, and you know, that's not unique to the U S special operations community. Our, our brothers in, in, you know, Australia and Britain and certainly anyone who's kind of fought the war 
has experienced it and seen it. Um, and it just goes back to, you know, what I imagine the samurai thought when they were facing death, you know, stuff like that. You know, what the Spartans thought at, at Thermopylae, certainly they didn't know it was going to be a movie 2000 years later, but they had to have some sense of what we're doing here is important and worthwhile, you know? So if, if it's going to be me, at least I'm going out as I would have wanted to go out, you know? So changing subjects a little bit. Yeah. Um, have you ever sat around and thought about or talked about with, with your friends that you work with, you know what? It'd be fun to fight the Spartans or, or go <laughs> roll with them a little bit. Yeah. Or what are the group we fight? Samurais. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't mean today. I mean, back in the day. Oh yeah. No doubt. Um, I think all of us in our past lives probably fantasize about that stuff. And then you're like, well, you know, what could a Roman legionnaire do? He could wear leather sandals and walk 60 miles a day with a handful of barley and a handful of oats and some figs stop get to where he's going and dig an entrenchment all night you know like i don't know man that's pretty gnarly you know would i be able to do that you know and and you definitely have a kind of a sense of uh of appreciation for all the nice things we get you know i don't think back in the phalanx they could wear arcteryx pants you know and i love my <laughs> arcteryx pants so yeah yeah i mean i wonder that too i mean i wonder as i'm thinking of great military units yeah or armies mm -hmm. or groups of soldiers in, in, in the history of planet earth. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you're going to come up with a few of them. Yours is certainly like going to be either the first that's mentioned or, or the top in the top few. And so I, I think that's interesting getting your perspective on that because I've actually wondered that on my own. Yeah. I've thought about Roman legionnaires. How well would they handle your training and, and how well would, would you handle what a Roman legionnaires, you know, training? No, is? absolutely. That's great. And honestly, I think, <clears throat> Where we are in warfare, maybe since World War II to now, World War II, probably the beginning of it, um, the complexity of the battlefield is as such that like maybe would have made a great Spartan, certainly admirable qualities. Same thing with the samurai, same thing with any other storied military formation through the years. But uh, the complexity and the speed and the scale of warfare is now so drastically different. And we can kind of use World War II as the jumping off point. Um, but I think what separates some of the really phenomenal operators from just a regular, you know, very brave, very patriotic American that happens to not be in the special operations community is that ability to learn 20 different tasks deeply and fully in a time constrained environment and then apply those skills in the definition of time constrained environments, yeah. um, which is, you know. Um, but, but I think that's important and I think that's valid. And I think, you know, as, as things go on, I mean, you know, 30 years ago, people that could write C++ code were sought after, but maybe not as sought after as now the guy who can write C++ code and, you know, code three to four layers deep of a neural network. I mean, that's the type of person everybody clamors for, whether the USG industry, a startup. So kind of warfare as it progresses, I think, you know, certainly um, physical ruggedness and durability and resilience. That's always going to be important, but what's now more important is, you know, being able to rapidly and quickly synthesize a lot of information down quickly, make something happen with what you've already been trained, answer uncertainty and go do it, you know, to the enemy. You know, <laughs> Again, that's probably something that's more for the special operations community, yeah, as you absolutely. said, than the average soldier. Absolutely. Um, yeah. 
but we're seeing convergence warfare, you know, hybrid warfare, you, you name it. Um, and I don't think any of your listeners will be shocked to know that, you know, China represents at this point, probably one of the greatest threats to the Western way of life that we've ever known. Yeah. Um, so you take that as a problem and you and say, that, that, that's a real thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Holistically, what are we going to do? Yeah. How are we as a nation, as the combined might of our incredible industry and our incredible military and what resources our population can marshal? Like what, how are we going to solve China? Who knows? But it's, it's going to be everyone thinking along those lines. Industry. I mean, and you, you take a look at what's been the driving force of American power since, you know, the war of 1812 and on. Um, it's our industry, especially, especially, you know, starting at kind of the Civil War, you yeah. saw the, the industrial might of the North and the population base versus the relatively limited resources that the South could bring to bear. Man to man, army to army, you know, they were they were even and obviously the, the South had some incredible leaders. Um, that really wasn't the def defining factor. The defining factor was the industrial base of the North and you go fast forward to World War One. what did the Germans in at the end of it was the combined industrial might of the Brits, of us and the French. World War II. Straight up the industrial chapter might. Chapter and verse. No Industrial question. might of the US. And so now we see this, like what's the, what's our, our, still our foremost driver of national security? Our industrial base, all these wonderful companies, wonderful corporations, five person startups to, you know, 5,000 people, uh, organizations, um, that's where we as a nation will live or die. And I fully believe that. So, you know, anything we can all do, you know, as citizens, as concerned citizens, is make sure, you know, from the state and local levels to the national level, we identify that what makes us a wonderful place to live is the tax base, which translates into our industrial base. And there you have it. Yeah, so citizens go out and be productive. Absolutely. Come up, like take some honor in what you Absolutely. do and go figure out better ways to do whatever it is that you do. Ex exactly. Make the world a better place by being the best at what you do right here in the United States. There you go. Productive, enterprising citizens. There, there's no greater generator for national security and national wealth and prosperity than enterprising, energetic, innovative citizens. Yeah, rather than mediocre. Absolutely. The special operations training is legendary. Yep. What do you think is the number one trait that makes people succeed in the training process? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I'll answer your question kind of roundabout. So what makes someone successful in a really tough selection and then be able to sustain through, learn all the skills, conduct themselves to the people to so their left and right don't hate them? Um, I'll answer it kind of like what I've seen from my my friends who who went maybe the medical school route. Um, that in its own right is about as rugged as it gets from what I've seen. Uh, and from what I understand, what separates the people that thrive in medical school is their level of commitment. They do not care what it takes. They do not care how long they have to study. They do not care what they might have to sacrifice in terms of their personal life. They do not care in some, you know, regards like what they're sacrificing uh, beyond that, you know, relationships fall apart, their friends don't hear from them, but they know no matter what, no matter what happens to their left and right and externally, 
they are going to progress along that path to being, you know, a medical doctor. And I think it's, it's, it's really cool and it's exemplary. Um, and there's some amazing doctors that started off as special operators. And a lot of them will tell you that, um, having been through one of those kind of life-changing experiences makes the next one and the next one, the next one easier. And I think you and I talked, you know, yesterday and, and today, like if you can do one hard thing and you can do one hard thing really well, that it makes you able to do the next hard thing really well and the next hard thing. And then you find it mundane almost to not do hard things. You know, certainly you take a breather and go hang out with your buddies, but you seek out challenges. So what I've seen from the guys who thrive in the selection process and thrive in the follow on training and thrive in the community is uh, that commitment, that level of commitment. So I say, hey, look, I'm going to show up. If I get hypothermia, so be it. If I die, so be it. But if those don't stop me and I don't do anything short of death, I will make it through. Until they physically throw me out, I will keep going. I don't care what it takes. I don't care how much it costs. I don't care how many people wish you know I was going to their party. I'm just going to focus on this. I'm going to read about it. I'm going to watch movies about it. I'm going to sit in my bed at night and meditate about it. In the moment, I'm going to realize that I'm not dead. Maybe it's hot. Maybe it's cold. Maybe it's super uncomfortable. But no matter what, I'm not going to stop until physically I cannot move. And mentally, my brain stops functioning. And until that happens, I'm still in the fight. Um, and that's who makes it. And those guys will make it. And they approach it differently and you know, they might say, you know, this is what I use as my kind of cornerstone and this is what I use as my motivator. Sure. But at the end of the day, they've all fully committed to that enterprise and that task. Um, and you see it in them. You, you see it. And it's there's an energy that comes from them when they're kind of in the middle of that. Uh, and it's really kind of cool and neat to experience. Um, and it leads to some funny stories every now and then. But at any rate. <laughs> But those are the people who end up being on your left and right when you're in battle, when it really counts. Yeah. It's got to feel good to know that there's been a, 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 exactly. a rigorous selection process because much like the training, you don't know what's going to actually happen at a given time. And you want someone, I'm assuming, who is cool under pressure and also skilled and committed to coming up with a solution. Absolutely. What, let me say it differently. They're, they're committed to winning. Oh, totally. Totally. And if they don't, then it's likely one or both of us is probably dead at that point. Yeah. Um, they will go till they cannot go. Period. Yeah. yeah. Period. Do you think it's even possible to get through the initial selection process if you don't have that mindset? The, specifically, do you think it's possible to get through the selection process if you don't have the mindset that says, you can kick me out, but I'll die before I walk out? I don't think so, to be honest. Um, Seems like it's designed to weed you out if you're not willing to do that. Absolutely. Like it will ask you fully and completely, are you fully and completely committed to what is about to take place? And if you're not, it becomes really obvious, really yeah. obvious. And sometimes guys who say they are, they're probably motivated by extrinsic factors, like their family wanted them to do it, or they think they're the toughest dude on the block and they've never failed at one thing in their life, or there's some renowned athlete but that's where they get their their motivation from and it doesn't come from within and they're not fully committed. They give themselves options, they give themselves an out. And that is unfortunately or fortunately um the people that quit almost immediately sometimes. Well that was that's one of my questions is I've never asked you this before but when you first started the initial process of your initial selection process 
of where you are now. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> did were there some people who quit and you and you went like really like already like that's all it took? Absolutely. And then the follow up question because Roy's thinking and trying to get an edge like, hey man. You know those new camis and nice socks you have that you haven't touched and you will never touch because you're out of here? Yeah. I need them. So just leave them on my bed and I'll get them today when we're done training. Um, Do you say that to them? Yeah, absolutely. Less laundry, less socks to clean. You know, like if this gets scuffed or destroyed, well, at least I got a backup, you know? I think that's hilarious. I think that the one of the things that I've witnessed, at least from you, is that in your community that people are pretty honest. And, and I mean, honest about like what's happening and what's going on and I remember one time we were we were around an area where some people were going through that selection process and they were within earshot of us easily. And you're like, yeah, you can see some of these people who are going to make it and who aren't. And they, all these guys could clearly hear you. Mm-hmm. And you're like, 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 looks like some of these guys, like him and him, I don't think they're going to make it. And you pointed <laughs> at one guy and said, and you weren't being mean, you were just being factual. And you Absolutely. said, I don't you weren't trying to ride on anyone. No. You were actually trying to educate me. Yeah. And you said, I don't think he's going to make it through today. And he turned around and looked at, and, and I could go like, yeah, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, you know, a guy runs down the beach and he looks at you and you're just two grown men. And if he looks down at the ground, like, you know, he's a servant from the Victorian era in England. You question like, what else is this guy going to cower away from? You know, whereas someone else runs down the beach and at least looks at you and acknowledges your presence as an grown man to another grown man. Yeah. Clearly part of the organization he might want to be in one day. And he nods at you and says, how are you doing? And then you say, okay, I'm doing great. Probably going to have a way better day than you are, but yeah. um, go get him, man. Best are, of luck. are we friends? Do you want to go? Yeah. And both are okay with me. Yeah. And this is a great question. Uh, the community, um, and I think most everyone that has experienced it either in or has friends or family in it, the type of guy does something day to day that like no artifice or veneer will, will last for long. Um, I know, I think both of us are really good buddies with, uh, with Ryan Hall, the renowned BJJ expert. And I've had the good fortune of hanging out with Ryan a a fair amount. He's a stud. He's an incredible guy. Um, he's a champion. And you, you look at him and you know, he'll, he'll say this move works, this move won't. And he's not talking about the moves just, in a vacuum he's talking about why it would work why it wouldn't work and there's a lot of fluff out there um at low levels like these strip mall gyms but if you've trained for even a day you can quickly strip away what is nonsense as to what is actually combat and functionally effective um so anyone can come up and tell you how tough and cool they are but it's real easy to say all right i hear you but if you're going to tell me about jujitsu and you're going to tell me a lot about jujitsu, let's go do jujitsu. If you're going to tell me how strong and tough and cool you are, let's put you in a situation where at least one or two out of those three things you just said, we'll find out real fast. We'll find out really fast. So it doesn't matter what they say or what they, what they purport to be. Um, challenge anyone just like when Charlie Murphy challenged Prince to a game of basketball, go find Ryan Hall, challenge him to a, a game of jujitsu and make sure your people are around to watch. <laughs> and to film it. <laughs> and to film it. <laughs> well, one of the things that I learned from Ryan that I thought was applicable to like your to your initial selection training, yeah. it's applicable to a lot of things, was Ryan was, was, was talking about just 
building castles, initial defenses in yeah. jujitsu. Absolutely. And he was he was talking about. I'm gonna. There's a lot of things he said that like were really impactful to me. He's a fascinating so, dude. So I'm only gonna focus on just one of them. Yeah. And the 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 facet was is you're 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 looking for cracks in the castle walls and you're trying not to have any in your own all the time. And so that that a lot of what he's doing when he's when he's doing jujitsu is he's constantly probing. Yeah. Everything he's doing, there's a reason behind it. Yep. And he's gaining information. Yep. The way you know he's he's as Rich said this morning, asking questions when you're when you're doing things, looking for a weakness. And testing everything. And what I'm saying is I feel like your initial training process, like the the your institution intentionally is doing the same thing. I mean, you may have Olympic athletes who already are some of the best endurance athletes in the world, but they sure. don't make it through that process. Right. Because they had a different weakness in the castle wall. And so it's it's almost like they want to just say, okay, so can you run really well? That's not a weakness. Okay. How do you how well do you do this other thing really well? Or how well do you uh how 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 well do you handle extreme cold? That's how well do you handle this? And and it's like they're just probing, and they're going to find it in everyone. And so there's no way you can come out of that without being like thoroughly probed and tested. Absolutely. In in your walls, as Ryan absolutely. Ryan Hall would put it. Well, and that's great. And um, you know, I've I think you and he and some of the other you know thinkers that we think about these problems all the time. You'll say to yourself, kind of two parts. One. The martial arts, especially at his level, um, is the epitome of one-on-one -on -one combat. It's even to a point where they both enter and all you have is what you are wearing in the ring. So there's no surprise attack. There's no, there's no new technology that's going to, you know, exist one-to-one hand-to-hand combat. It's about as pure as it gets. And it's been talked about now for 3,000 years. Like the Greeks were kind of obsessed with this idea of, you know, complete, even playing field, same weight, everything else. You come in and you see whose strategy and whose tactics sometimes are the same, sometimes they're not. You see whose is better and whose is more effective. Um, so <clears throat> kind of what, what works and what a mental model for one-on-one -on -one combat is, is the same thing that Sun Tzu wrote about. It's the same thing that Clausewitz wrote about. It's the same thing that we see on a macro scale now when we're in this, make no mistake, like nation versus nation competition in this case with China. You say, what can I do to that person across the ring, across the battlefield, across the ocean that will cause him to expend resources, tip his hand so I know exactly what he's going to do and allow me to maneuver on him and conserve my resources, conserve my energy and guard the way I want to go. You know, I dictate the terms one way or another. Um, and I think that's kind of what he's talking about. Um, at least that's what we seemingly always, always seem to kind of come back to as we equate this, this notion of, you know, combat that's only separated by my tactics and my strategy and how well I utilize my same resources that they have which one works better, who makes better decisions, who conserves and who doesn't tip their hand, you know, in the poker sense. Um, what we're worried about, at least more locally, uh, and to your point, why do some of these world-class athletes, you know, wash out? Well, we've seen, you know, psychological studies left and right and the military's commission, you know, if, if, we, could, if we could crack the code and go to every small town in large city America and say, we're going to go to every high school and we're going to interview every high school student and we're going to know exactly after talking to them who would make it and who wouldn't. 
If we could do that, we would have by now. What we're finding, especially with this current generation and, and so forth and so on, is to a large extent, this idea of fairness and equality and equity at all costs is damaging. It's damaging in a competitive sense. Um, you get told all the time like how great and wonderful and cool you are, or you get told to value fairness and harmony and equality more than victory and winning. Well, A, you got communism right there, and B, you get people who aren't suited at all for hardship, and they aren't suited at all for someone telling them, no, you're not actually that great, and you don't have much self-worth. In fact, you're useless. I don't even know why you're still here. And they find the cracks with those types of people yeah. almost instantaneously. Yeah. Yeah. One of the ways that Ryan Hall actually blew my mind is that when he was talking about jujitsu, it wasn't just talking about one-on-one -on -one combat, and you just alluded to this. Yeah, but it was it was like any type of warfare, mm -hmm. and and it, it's so strategic that yeah. the, the mental process for what he's going through mm -hmm. is perfectly applicable to all types. It seemed to me of all types of strategy. The more you can think through one opponent in jujitsu and the how and the why, mm -hmm. the better you'll be. I think tactically, uh, on a, on a on an entire battlefield, not just against one opponent. No, I think you're absolutely. I mean, strategically, right. they lined up. And the other thing that I think Ryan and I were both pretty surprised about was that as as he talked about jujitsu, I thought he was talking about business, and it was it lined up one on one. And and I thought, and it lined up on a lot of the training that I do that have to do with sales or other stuff. When when I would share some things, he he would like, oh, are you serious? That lines up one on one. And I think there's something to that, right? There, like, there's absolutely something to that. Absolutely something to that. And that's, you know, anecdotally, you can't spit on the sidewalk in any incredibly, you know, name brand business school in the country and not have it hit on at least three, you know, former or current special operators. Um, yeah. But but what you and Ryan kind of talked about um, is very powerful notion. And take, for instance, the the very ancient and very really cool culture of Japan. I mean, that's a small island nation that much like Britain came to dominate their sphere of the globe. Um, and not by accident. And not by accident. And they have the Bushido code there, you know, the code of the warrior, the way of the warrior, well documented. And for centuries and centuries and centuries, the kids would study martial arts in school and not just kicking and punching, but why? And what makes a warrior a warrior? Um, and obviously we had the dust up there in World War II, of course. But 30 years later, you have the Japanese competing with the size, weight, scale, and talent of America, a country much smaller with much fewer resources. And why? Why? Because they took those martial aspects of the Bushido that had served them very well. And that little island nation has come up with more, you know, martial arts um, innovations than, you know, anywhere else combined in a one-to-one -one kind of idea. And they started teaching the Bushido to the to the guys in business school. And that's the type of thing. They couldn't go, you know, invade island other nations anymore. And, you know, kind of the age of the samurai come and gone uh, as the industrial revolution will do. But these people applied that same idea of Bushido and that same idea of using strategy and tactics to outmaneuver and outwit your opponents to the business world. And so, you know, as, as America and Japan, you know, competed economically in the 70s and 80s and 90s, you saw that come oh, yeah. fully around. Oh, yeah. Um, 
And it was incredible. And that, I think- you Not know, just in one way. It's because the whole philosophy of how to think was different. Absolutely. Right? Just absolutely. From, from, from not just the, dem, the Deming stuff and innovative nope. quality, but in everything. You Competitively it. and strategically. Yep. No, you're absolutely- This in, is what you're doing. We're going to feel for the cracks yep. in the walls. And then this is what we're going to do. And they were then going, and to, off they went. going to battle metaphorically. Sure. No. And, and off they went. And that's kind of, I think, you know- Back in World War II, when we marshaled the weight of our industry and all these brilliant uh, business leaders and technological innovators um, that worked for us in World War II. The it, problem is now, you know, look at what they did back then. How did they get there? It didn't just happen overnight. They tested their kids in school. They demanded kids study. They emphasized math and science relative to everyone telling you what color their feelings are nonsense right this is they didn't nonsense. give everybody a trophy absolutely for participating and, and lie to them and say you won and that, absolutely. You're, and that you're great which i think is is uh crippling to tell people that when they're doing things not well that it's well i'm not saying you have to be mean but like how, how <laughs> setting low standards and saying that crappy things are excellent is is not helpful absolutely anyone, especially the person you're saying it to no and emotional intelligence isn't just telling everyone how cool they are it's telling someone how badly he or she might suck but doing it in a way that they stop sucking like hey man i don't want to suck anymore thanks for letting me know i'm going to do stuff that makes me not suck yeah uh and there's no technical term for that but you know what's more important someone who respects the thoughts and feelings of everyone he meets certainly but if he's illiterate and he can't do math and he can't do science and he doesn't understand business structure, what good is he? Yep. Ralph Waldo Emerson, wonderful thinker. What was one of his favorites? Don't just be good. Be good for something, you know? And if we all just, what am I good for today and over the long term, I think we'd keep moving in the right direction at least. Yeah. Don't be just good for five minutes. That's right. But be be good constantly do i serve every five minute period do i serve a useful part of society you know i don't you know okay i don't litter and i don't speed and i don't you know use foul language around children but that doesn't inherently make you a wonderful person that's just you're meeting expectations that anyone should meet so if you end it there then i question like what else do you settle with what else are you okay with you know complacency wise I think the way you do anything is the way you do everything. So beautifully said. Yeah. So I think that I think that you probably have noticed that in with what you do is that, you know, when you see people really sucking at things and putting forth little effort, they're probably not people you want to have around. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Yeah. I think I think you've actually shared with me a couple of stories where you you were a little bit displeased with people's effort and, <laughs> and it made you not want to work with them anymore. That's right. And you let them know it in a very clear there was no misunderstanding. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You know, what you said reminded me of other things that Ryan Hall was, was teaching me because mm -hmm. you're, you're, you were equating Japan as a little island nation going up yeah. against the industrial might of the United States and the rest of the world. Sure. Well, that's what a lot of Ryan was teaching strategically is like, oh, what if I'm going up against a bigger opponent? Right. Well, here's, how, here's the strategy right. as it relates to jujitsu. Right. And it's, it's again, one-on-one. -on -one like the Bushido code of explaining like how you compete if you're a small company or entity against big companies. And yeah. How do you protect your your flanks when you're a big company? Exactly. Against the smaller companies and where are you vulnerable? And exactly. What are you going to do about that? Exactly. No. It's and pretty neat stuff. It's great stuff. To your point, like look at Napoleon, the world's biggest, most powerful army at the time gets bogged down in, you know, Spain with what amounted to be some insurgents. Um, 
led by, you know, the Archduke himself there, Lord Wellington. But well, what happened? You know, they start focusing on too big and too much and they lose the sight of the, the details, right? And they do have exposed flanks and they're not flanks at this point. They're just exposed cracks, right? How do I do logistics? How do I move from point A to point B efficiently and safely and effectively and have this, you know, who's an enemy, who's not? I don't know. But they lost that balance, you know, and once you lose that balance, whether you're in a fight against a very skilled opponent and you lose your balance, very horrible things can happen. Whether you're a small, you know, elite team of, of warriors in, you know, bad guy country and, and you lose some sort of communication link or you um, expend all your ammunition and there's still some bad guys out looking for you, like you got to balance it all. Um and, and, and I think balance um, in any organization is very important. Like you've got these incredible guys and you know that they'll work themselves to death. You as the boss can't ask them to do that. You know, hey man, you've done a great job today, yesterday, all last month. I want you to take the next week off. And guess what? I'm not asking you at this point. You will take the next week off. I don't want to see you here at work. Go do whatever you want and come back in a week or two because we need you. We need you for the long haul. Um, and he'll tell you, like, when he fights, like, I'm not trying to go out and win the fight in the first 30 seconds against a good opponent. Talking about Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. Against a good opponent, that's that's irresponsible. Like, that's that's flawed thinking. Um, I'm not going to win against a very skilled opponent in 30 seconds in anything. You know, like, Bill Belichick's not going to win the football game in the first quarter. He's going to plan for the first quarter, second quarter, make some adjustments at halftime and go out and do it again in the second half. But he's balancing his approach. He's not gonna you know, throw the whole playbook at him. If the first couple of plays are working, he'll continue to use those. But that's kind of what what I think, you know, when all of us can say, well, you know, we've had all these A-types or we have all these people that don't, you know, they're not motivated. What do we need to do? We need to strike a balance of motivation, holding them back, marshalling our resources, expending energy, saving energy, you name it. Yeah, I think something that is a fun conversation to have is talking about how hard is a relative term. Right. So I've I've said before that at work I've got had to go to someone that and the reason I was going to talk to them is because I was going to let them know that they couldn't work here anymore <laughs> <laughs> because they weren't very hard working. Yeah. The way they approached problems was not satisfactory. Yeah. And I started the conversation by finding out how they're doing mm -hmm. and said, how's work going? Yeah. And they say, it's my favorite job I've ever had. It's by far the hardest job I've ever had. Mm -hmm. And I'm really, really proud of what I'm doing because I've, I'm proud of how hard I'm working. I've never worked so hard mm -hmm. and I'm really proud. Yeah. And they're not, they're not lying. Yeah. Like that's how they actually feel. It's just that there's a disparity between what I consider to be hard work. Absolutely. And good effort and what they consider to be Absolutely. hard work and good effort. And- of course, there's there's no better example of this in what you do. Hmm. I mean, clearly, everyone who comes to join your group thinks that they're good at hard things. And then the people who are putting them through it say, we disagree. We don't think you're very good <laughs> at some, some of these hard things, at least yeah. not good enough. And so let's go our separate ways. But I, I think to your point, like that's the thing about America right now. Absolutely. Is I'm a little bit concerned that in America, we're, we're forgetting how to do hard things. We're setting the bar lower. Yep. We're demanding less from people yep. and telling them it's excellent. Yep. And that does nothing, in my opinion, but weaken, weaken us as a nation. I couldn't have said it better. Um, you know, everyone has their different thresholds and certainly everyone has their unique talents. If you ask me to paint a beautiful picture, arguably you could ask my, you know, 
10-year-old daughter to do the same thing. You could ask my seven-year-old daughter to do the same thing. And we all three do our best to paint a beautiful picture. I guarantee you, I would come in third. Um, I'm just not a great artist, you know? I can't paint that well. Me either, brother. Yeah, there you go. But, but, um, you know, like th that's hard for me, right? Like draw a realistic looking bird. I'm like, all right, well, it's got a beak. It's got a, you know, some feathers, I think, some wings, some feet. And it would look like, you know, maybe my four-year-old daughter drew it, but that's fine. The point is I accept that and I didn't let, it doesn't let it bother me. And if I really needed to draw a great bird, I'm sure after months and months of trying, I could get to the point where it could, you know, at least be comic book worthy. I have no no doubt that if an assignment came to you to do that, yeah, somehow it would get done. Yeah, by the year it took me to like, it you just know, get done YouTube and go buy manga art books and everything else in a year, that would be a great bird. It would get done. It would be hard, no doubt, but not today. But I wouldn't complain about it. You wouldn't complain about it. Um, and so when you say, well, what's hard to you? Um, I was actually joking with a couple of my buddies. <clears throat> you know, we all have things we have to put up with in our personal lives. And I said, you know what? This is kind of a pain in the ass, but you know, at least I didn't get my legs blown off today. And there's a, you know what? You are weird and you have real problems and not everything has to be weighed against, you know, your legs getting taken from you. But nevertheless, that's a great attitude and I'm sure you'll come out ahead. And I said, thanks, man. You know, you know, let's get out of here. But but that's it, right? Like it's different metrics for what's hard and what isn't. Um, and I like kind of how you framed it. Like once this nation becomes collectively like a nation that shies away from doing the difficult and doing doing the needful, you know, sometimes sometimes you just have to do it. You know, NASA in the 1960s, like who would have thought of that? Like the computational power of NASA in the 1960s? Yeah. The computational power of their brains and their computers was less than what you or I carry around in our pocket. The smartphone that you and I carry around has more computational power than the entirety of NASA had in the 1960s, but they still ended up putting guys on the moon. It's which, crazy. It's crazy because they rolled up their sleeves, they came to work every day, and they sorted it out by hook or by crook. If they told Kennedy, hey man, I don't know if this is gonna happen. Like, this is just, you want us to do what and where and when? That's just not how America is supposed to go, you know, and it, it hasn't for a very long time. And hopefully we don't lose it. You know, it's not that complex. No. I mean, look, I, I say to people when I'm at work and it looks like they're going in the wrong direction, mm -hmm. then I just say, um, I want you to watch me for a second. Yeah. And I'll put one foot directly in front of the other foot. Yeah. And I'll do it again. And I'll say, where do you think I'm going? And they'll <laughs> say, I don't know. And I'll keep, I'll keep doing it. I go, do you know yet? And they're like, nope. Say it's here in the office and I'm walking yeah. toward the theater. Sure. Well, as pretty soon I get pretty close to the theater. Yeah. And I'll say, uh, I'll say, uh, where do you think I'm going now? Yeah. They'll say, you going to the theater? I'll say, no, no, I'm going to the kitchen. And they'll <laughs> say like, no, you're not. The kitchen's that way. And I'm like, so that's what it looks like you're doing to me. <laughs> you're taking these steps and you're telling me you're going over there. Yeah. And, and, and I think that that's what I feel about America a little bit, that we can't open our eyes a little bit. And say that, like, where do you think you're going to end up? Where is your destination yeah. when you do these things? And and, I, and we can substitute five or six or seven or eight different things. But since sure. we're on this subject, yeah. I will say that when we start saying it's okay to do uh, to do less and to, to celebrate idleness I or think to celebrate mediocrity or to 
tear people down who are achievers. That's powerful. Now, what you just said, so I'll ask you this. Uh, what what books, books or missives or whatever have changed your life? And we'll not, we won't delve into the spiritual, but certainly the Bible sure. and, and all the works, you know, yeah, those. we'll leave those out. Okay. In a secular sense, what has changed your life? With books? Yeah. I'll just mention a couple and it's at different times in my career. Sure. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People yep. by Stephen R. Covey. Oh, wow. That book has been deeply impactful for me. A couple yeah. others he's done about principle-centered leadership mm -hmm. and some of the others I've also really liked. Yeah. As my company started getting bigger, yeah. uh, I was really helped by Tony Say, yeah. Delivering Happiness. That I got a lot of value from that book. Also, Scaling Up. Oh, wow. Uh, the book Principles. Yeah. Um, there, there's a few different books that I derived value from, but but I will say this. I didn't derive nearly as much value from anything as I did from actually going and doing stuff and figuring here, here, it out. Here, here. Right? Here, here. No, that's those are great. Um, I have a couple that come to mind. One, and it's telling not only what the story is and how long the story is, um, but what it used to be. It used to be widespread common knowledge in every college, most high schools um, throughout the land. And it was called A Message to Garcia. Oh, yeah. Great book. Great. And it's what? Four pages? Four pages long. And it was written in 1898, I think. And it starts off, a man by the name of Rowan was given a task to carry a message to Garcia, who was a leader that we were helping to train and fight and use his insurgent skills against the enemy during the Spanish-American War. And so it goes on to say that the nature of Rowan's mission is not really relevant to the point. The point is, Rowan was given a mission. He was given a task. And at the outset, Rowan didn't say, why do you want it done? Or don't you think this is dangerous? Or shouldn't I go with somebody else? He took the message to Garcia, did his thing, and off he went, right? And that used to be required reading. You had to internalize that at most colleges in America and a lot of high schools. And the whole point was, see the task, do the task, period. See the task, Maybe take a second to understand the task, but go do the task. Now, you know, it's difficult to do that, right? It's difficult to have people who've internalized something like the message of Garcia. You know, and locally, I think, you know, the Special Operations Committee, this was required reading for us. And it was the first time I ever read it. Now, obviously, a lot of us had internalized it at that point. But you read it and you're like, I every person in America should read this. Resonates. It resonates. It totally resonates. And you say, okay, look. Sorry, Hopefully. Hopefully. Um, it totally resonates and you say, okay, this makes more sense than I can even really articulate that well, but the guy in the four pages, I won't spoil it for the listenership. I encourage everyone tuning in today to, to go check it out if you haven't already, but it'll just say like, what, what is every shop, every business, every military unit everywhere in America and probably the world over need. It needs people who can come in and get the job done and they don't cause a lot of drama. They don't constantly ask for this. They don't come up with excuses. They just take the job that the boss gives them or they're the boss and they see what needs to be done and they do it. Um, and it resonated like beyond words. Like I still think about it, you know, a lot. Um, and then the second is just some of the stuff Marcus Aurelius wrote, you know. I'm in that now. Absolutely. Right now. The Stoics, I mean, incredible. Um, and obviously we all have things we can work on. Like the part where I need to work when I read Marcus Aurelius is not getting mad at the idiot. Like you don't get mad at the alligator for eating the, you know, 
the zebra at the riverbank, you shouldn't get mad at the idiot. That's kind of like what he does. That's his thing. Idiocy. Um, you know, all joking aside. I but, just went through that part. So you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's all joking aside. There's, you know, a couple of passages that really make sense. Like, hey, it's been a long week. I'm tired. This bed is really comfortable. Okay. And Marcus Aurelius, I think, you know, he influenced the, the thoughts and later writings of St. Peter and some of the other early Christian writers and thinkers. But he said, why did, you know, at that time, you know, the Roman God, why did the Roman gods or Greek gods or whoever put me on this earth? Was it to lay in this wonderful warm bed? Probably not. I probably wasn't born given all these gifts in whatever faculties I have to sit here in bed and enjoy the warmth and comfiness. Like it's just not, you know, hitting snooze 10 times. That's not why I'm here. Blowing off what I need to do is not why I'm here. Calling it early because I feel like I'm a little bit tired every day. That's not why I'm supposed to be here. I'm supposed to go out and achieve and use this body and use this brain and use whatever health I have um, to go do something with. And you know that every time it's hard, every time you need been at it all week, all month, you know, night after night, day after day, you're like, man, I just kind of want to lay around in bed all day. That sounds great. And you think to yourself, well, no. That sounds like you're a loser. You know, you sound like the dude from Big Lebowski. It doesn't feel good at all. It doesn't it's feel good. It's not good. And it, in, the, in that immediate moment, sure, I'm sure it was probably nice. But, you know, if you look at yourself at four or five in the afternoon, you wonder, what did I? Yeah. I only have a finite amount of days. Yeah. They could be numbered next week. Yeah. Who knows? I certainly wouldn't want any of them to be like, I did nothing today. Nothing. Yeah. You know, nothing of use. And it's great how Marcus Aurelius asks the question. Yeah. Why am I on the earth? What What am I doing here? What's my purpose? Exactly. And uh, what's the purpose of this chair? How does it fill the measure of its creation? People sitting in it. There you go. What about me? Yeah. What about you? Exactly. I think all of us should ask that question a, a, a little bit more often. I dig it. And Seneca, Seneca himself, one of, you know, Marcus Aurelius' buddy there, you know, the unexamined life is not worth living. Yeah. How many people just go through the motions every day? It's something I've been struggling with. You can help me with this is I feel like I'll run into people, yeah. sometimes, dare I say, institutions, <laughs> who seem to say that my purpose is actually to create problems for people. Yep. So I, my, and they, they define that as productivity. Yeah. And, and literally the mindset does not seem at all as I interact with some of these people, the mindset does not seem at all to be actually trying to cope with solutions. Like their idea of a solution mm -hmm. is to cope with a problem needlessly, just so they can say, Look, I did my work. I created a problem for, for this person. Absolutely. I hid behind the clock, which I'm going to punch out in sooner or later. Um, and yeah. I have a rule book sitting next to me. And I have a boss that doesn't really care because they're just like it. So I'm going to make Jason sit on hold for 20 minutes while I dither. And then I'm going to come back on the line and tell him he's got to call three other numbers. Now we're talking. And you say, you know what? When you go home, whatever that home is for you every night, how do you look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm a useful, productive member of society? I would hope you do not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's better that you you stayed in bed, <laughs> so at least for the rest of society. Yeah. I mean, maybe yeah. you feel better because you think that that is like your usefulness, that it's your useful purpose. But I think we would all wake up and say, am I making the world a better place? Yeah. Am I making it more productive? Yeah. Am I helping people be better versions of themselves? There am I go. helping push, push, push forward my family? Am I helping people like move forward with character and to value true principles? Yeah. Am I doing those things? If not, what is my net contribution? Absolutely. To the people around me. I'll tell you this. 
any frogman who tells you that he's that he isn't proud or he wasn't happy any day in buds when someone ring the bell is lying we all loved it we'd cheer it'd be great fun you know you didn't care it didn't matter if it, at the time was you know someone you were really tight with hypothetically yeah if they rang the bell all the better that means you're way tougher and you're one step closer and they'll never know you know what you will know um and you just you know you you say hey that's addition by subtraction that's addition by subtraction yeah. you know like there can only be one head coach for each nfl team if you have two it starts getting muddy they're gonna be one ceo you know for moxie if not is the muddy the waters get muddied you know we need to keep you know the decision making and the people that really want to do it like at that point, doesn't matter what you choose to do yeah. or how you choose to do it. If you're leading and you're winning, you know, that's awesome. And that's what this country's built on, you know? And sometimes we just don't need all these people hanging around, basically dragging everybody else down. You know, one less guy, one guy who rings the bell means his boat crew is not gonna suffer anymore. He won't duck the boat. He won't complain. He won't be miserable. He won't have a shitty attitude. He's gone. And now the fun begins. And everyone's better off. Addition everyone's by subtraction. Everyone's better off. Addition by subtraction. And he said something else that was powerful that I loved. And you said, he'll never know what we know. He'll never know what we know. It's not possible. Uh-uh. And so later on when he says, even if he made it three quarters of the way through Buds. Yeah. Even if he made it to the last 48 hours, which are infamous. Sure. Uh, and he says, oh, I, I know what Buds is like. I remember I was there with you guys. You go, well, I, I remember. You volunteered I out. Yeah. I don't think you do actually. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you know, half the population, even more than half, you know, um, childbirth. It seems awful. Right? It seems miserable. I don't know what it is. Lord knows I wouldn't want to go through it. Yeah. Um, and so when someone tells me it was the worst thing they ever experienced, I'm like, I I do not disagree with you. I have yeah. no relative basis. It looks awful. It looks awful. Yeah. Okay. So I'm curious, what are some things that you and your coworkers think are funny? Like, where do you laugh at people behind their back or maybe sure. even to their face? When they start talking about how they could have been SEALs or they... Yeah. I'm just, I'm just curious. Well, I mean, just like any other segment of the uh, male population that were at one point in high school, uh, we find bodily functions hilarious, um, as one does. Um, yeah. But, you know, that's they're, a great question. They are very funny. They're hilarious. Uh, and we got some great stories about, you know, a guy steps off a helicopter right at the onset of a three-day operation and, you know... Maybe he has a bathroom emergency uh, and he doesn't, you know, sort it out on time. And he's now kind of carrying that around with him, too, for the next three days. And it's hilarious. That is you funny. Know, it's so good. A lot of jokes about that. <laughs> yeah. A lot of fond remembrances. Um, but, you know, your question's also kind of hilarious, but also poignant. You know, a lot of guys come up. Hey, man, you know, younger kids, high school, college. I want to do what you do. Okay. I'll take you at face value. Now, if the guy, you know, is, you know, 300 pounds and it looks like he hasn't, you know, run anywhere except to the fridge or he's 100 pounds and it looks like he hasn't, you know, couldn't do a push up if his life literally depended on it, automatically you're skeptical. But you, you give him, you know, everybody a, at least, you know, a sentence or two to prove themselves or at least give you something that would suggest that they're, all right, man, um, what have you done to prepare? And that's the question. Like, what have you done to prepare? You say you want to do something. If you tell me you want to be the world's best race car driver, and I'm like, okay, well, what have you done to that end? Do you have a driver's license? Do you have a go-kart? Do you drive it all the time? Do you watch movies? Do you read books? 
what do you know? What do you know in your research and studies to embark upon this path? What if, what, what, what do you think you need to do? Because if someone tells me they want to do something, then I would su- assume like any of us that like want to do something at a very high level, they've done a lot of thought and research and meditation about it. So as soon as I say, what have you done to prepare? And they can't talk for 15 minutes. I know like, well, already, you know, not only is there a power curve and you're behind it, um, you're not even on the power curve. You're not even on the curve. Like, dude, maybe you should rethink what you actually want to do, you know? And at that point, just like we talked about earlier, like you say you want to be the world's greatest fighter. Um, or you say you want to be a great swimmer. Or you say you want to be the world's greatest mathematician. Like, what does that mean to you? And if, like I said, like any of us who have kind of gone off on our path, if I asked you, Jason, what does it take to run a business? We could keep the camera rolling for 72 hours and we still wouldn't be a quarter of the way through. Yeah. You know, Um, someone's like, Mike, what, what would you say it takes to like be an effective small unit leader of a special operations element? And what are your considerations and how would you do it? And what would you do? Like I could talk here for 48, 72 hours and we'd still have things we haven't touched on. Yeah. Um, You better be prepared to pay a very, very, very high price. That's it. That's it. For that's both of our answers. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and you could talk about it for 10 minutes. You could talk about it for 10 hours. You could talk about it for 10 months. But the point is you can talk about it. And not only that, if someone's like, Jason, I'm tired of talking about it. Let's go do it. You could do it till you got tired and they would have melted away mentally a long time ago. Yeah. Um, so at the long and short of it, at the end of the day, if someone says they want to do something and that something happens to be, you know, a really successful entrepreneur or a successful special operator or a world-class uh, fighter, if they can't talk to you about it at length, about what they've done and what they plan to do and how they've done it so far and what's worked and what hasn't and lessons learned, immediately I say, I don't know, unless you're six years old and you just don't have that basis of life experience, I'm going to start saying like, dude, okay. Can I tell you what I say in your in your behalf? Yeah. I've never told you this, but when in other times where people have met you or other people in your community mm-hmm. and they've come to me afterwards and said, I want to do that. Yeah. And so what do you think it takes? And this, I'm going to tell you what I tell them. You yeah. tell me if I should change it. Go ahead. I just say, oh, that's cool. Like you, <laughs> I, I go, that, that's awesome. So like, uh, actually I know how to do it. Yeah. And they're like, like what? I'm like, all you got to do is go show up at Bud's and then make it through. That's and it. And then go show up with everything else that. That's it. It's there's, really. There's nothing else to talk about. That's it. It's very So just binary. go go do that. And they're like, but, but what's the process of that? I'm like, just want to do it and then just go do it. There's plenty of stuff to go read about. Just, you don't even have to tell me anything. Just go do it and then go tell me how it was. That's what Mike did. Do or do not. You know, do or do not. Yeah. Right? There's, no, there's not a whole lot to talk about. And, and I go, I go, I, I actually can't do it. And I'm like, do you know how I know? And like, literally people actually look at me and they go, how? Yeah. I'm like, because I didn't do it. Yeah. No, I mean, but that's a great answer. It's just the truth. Answer. It's the truth, right? So that's I, a great I, answer. I, I, didn't, I, didn't pay the, I didn't pay the price. I didn't prepare because that's not what I want to do. I paid other prices. Absolutely. You know, so, and there's things that I've wanted to do that I did and yeah. I paid the price for those things and I'm proud of them. And they're also hard things. I'm just saying whatever you want to do, if you want to be, to your point, if you want to be the best in the one of the best in the world, yeah, there's a price to be paid. Yep. And if you're not training and preparing, that's it. Like the top people in the world would train and prepare, then don't be shocked when it doesn't quite work out. That's for you. it. So like, it's ridiculous to me that people will go and tra- 
prepare like they're like the mediocre people prepare that's it. and think that somehow that's going to make them elite. Right. You have to pause and say, do you really think the top 1% of 1% of 1% that's how they got there and nope. that's how it's going to work? Nope. Which is I, is what I'm hearing you say, right? I mean, absolutely. No, I couldn't have said it better. And you know, people say, "Well, I knew this guy, and he got straight A's, and he floated through school." I'm like, okay, where is he now? He's either greatly successful, or he's mediocre, or he's a complete failure. Okay, but why? It doesn't matter how he did in school per se. Uh, obviously, school can teach you a lot, but it, what it can't teach you is what you just said: like how hard and how far and how deep are you willing to go for the task at hand? Yeah. Maybe he's academically gifted, but it doesn't matter. Someone academically gifted comes to work for you and he floats through design meetings. He floats through sales meetings. He floats through, you know, what we look for at the end of the day. Like he's gone. He's gone. Um, no question. Like floating through is one thing, but being able to turn it on when you need to or want to, um, that, that, that transcends industry, that transcends discipline, that transcends skill. That's like what a successful person does, period. 